Not to sound harsh to clinicians or to people living with pain, is that both have an accountability. Clinicians have an accountability to work with kindness, do no harm, support people, offer care. And people living with pain, they, I suppose, have to have a, an accountability towards, well, do I want to change? Does something need to change? How can I go about changing that? What do I need to do to get better? What do I have to do in order to make this work? Chronic and persistent pain is still quite a challenge for health professionals all over the world. Well, today we spoke to Paul Lagerman, who became a physiotherapist in 2008, but he actually worked in London in the NHS in their Centre of Pain Education. This gave him a wonderful foundation to help us today on the podcast. And he spoke very practically and pragmatic about five tips to help us help our patients with chronic and persistent pain. I hope you enjoy this episode. My name is Michael Risk, and this is Physio Explained. Welcome, Paul. Thank you for joining us. Thank you. It's a real pleasure to be here, Michael. We're going to talk about some tips about managing long-standing pain, and you've collated these from a few sources as well as your own brain. What was the first one you'd like to touch on? I want to just do a shout out as we go through this podcast to each of the individuals that shared some of these tips with me. I just want to say a thanks so much for, for asking me to do this, but I felt that this was a perfect platform to share ideas and lift the profile of other individuals that often don't get this opportunity. So the first tip is a fairly um, uh, unanimous one that my colleagues came up with, just essentially shut up and listen. You know, if there's one thing that you do that's most important is listen, listen, listen. I think, as I say, that's a fairly, fairly well-known tip I think that's probably shared by all allied health professionals. I think, isn't it, physios are, are known for interrupting within about seven seconds of doing the, the subjective assessment, hey? Although I, I think I've read somewhere, it could be hearsay, but I've read somewhere that's, um, that may now have gone up to 15 seconds. So I think that's definitely the first one is shut up and listen. We were joking off air that we've doubled it to a whopping 15 seconds. <laughs> The barrier here that I think comes up for a lot of new grads, and I work in the private practice space in Australia, is that we don't have enough time. And I think I would add here, it's something I talk about a lot, is it's okay to say, I want to hear more of your story. And if you can't extend that consult, maybe we can book a second consult in and ask for more time. Have you experienced that as a barrier in your setting? Yeah, I guess I kind of work in a fairly unique setting in that I do get an hour with my clients. So I definitely appreciate the circumstances that you've described there, having come from a, a private field as well and moving into pain management. Some of the appointment times that I've had to deal with are like sort of 20 minutes. And you can't factor in absolutely everything within that 20 minute appointment but what might be helpful is yes shut up and listen to the client and just making notes of key words that the client uses that's something that i do even in the time that i have with the client if i don't get through everything i'm just making notes of key words that really sort of resonate with me and then that means that i can then potentially touch back on that in further follow-up sessions. And so like you've said, 
being open with the client or the patient and saying something along the lines of, I've noted that, you know, you've, you've raised some of these things, some of these concerns. What I'd like to do is come back to that in a follow-up session. And I think people really appreciate your honesty when it comes to, to, to discussing complex things such as pain. Yeah, that's awesome. I also think sometimes the whole consult can be listening and um, that might even lead into your, your second tip. Did you want to go on to that second tip and we'll expand further? Yeah, so the second tip has come from someone called Louise Shepherd. She's a, a physiotherapist in New Zealand and a lecturer at University of Otago. Her tip is see your job as to walk alongside rather than lead. You don't have to solve everything. I think that's a really important point that she has raised there is, is that from our learning as physiotherapists, our undergraduate learning, and I don't want to go too much in depth in this, but from our learning, there's this, I guess, underpinning approach around we have to do things to people. And often that is delivered in a way where we impart something which can lead us down that path of, say, fixing something or solving something for someone. And of course, people have to be ready to change their behavior. They have to be willing to engage and willing to change behavior in order for that engagement to increase by us trying to push and impart something on on a person who's not in that position of change, it's likely that they'll argue the other side of the ambivalence. So here's an example. Often in the past where I've not worked with a kind of collaborative approach in my younger days where I've been saying, I've been making recommendations, been saying, this is what you should be doing. You should be doing this, you should be doing this, you should be doing this. Often, Clients have argued the other side of this ambivalence that they might have. And the classic line that you hear is, yeah, but, and then they go on and say, yes, but, blah, 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 yes. And so that creates this, this rigid barrier in that you've tried to impart some knowledge and impart a recommendation on how somebody should do something based upon the evidence-based or based upon what you've been taught or such like. And so if that person has either experienced that in the past or has attempted to try and change, or there are just too many barriers for that individual. A little thing to look out for is the yes, but. Yeah, but, blah, X, Y, Z. So that might mean that you're not leading. That means you're coming alongside. What would you be willing to try? What do you think you can do today? Rather than going, I think what we should do is this. We did this last time. Let's work on that. Let's progress you to this with the intention of it being that I am the practitioner in control. I've seen these changes. Let's move that person on. Does that make sense? Yeah, it's a, I like the asterisk sign there of, you know, if you're picking up phrases like that, like, yeah, but it might cause you to reflect and think about using that alongside approach. I was also thinking about time. And our first point is that I think patients with long-standing pain, it, it is okay to just listen to their story and ask one or two really impactful, reflective questions. And they will come to you if you have listened. And that's where I wanted to link up those two points. Often I found early in my career that 
if the whole consult, the 45 minute initial was listening to someone's story, that was actually extremely valuable for them and to them, provided you were alongside them and you asked what they were looking to get out of today. And you asked a couple of key reflective questions. So I really like that point you touched on. I recently attended a motivational interviewing course where again, the biggest barrier to motivational interviewing was cited as time. So these two points you've brought up are super important. Thank you. Mm. Oh, well, I think just to add, if there was a word that I would sum up what you've just said, what resonates with me is it's this sense of validation that we're giving the person who's sitting in the room with us that's sharing the circumstances that they're going through. Yeah, that opportunity to just sit and listen is incredibly validating for people. Using this ACT approach of values-based therapy, if you like, is showing people that living with adversity, whether that's pain or other challenges that they have in their life, what things are really and truly important to them and how can we navigate with them and walk alongside them, as Louise said, how can we help them navigate that so that they do succeed in living these things that are important to them? I like what you're talking about here. And I also found that it takes a little bit of pressure off you, a feeling that if you have a big list of patients or even three or four patients on your list with a pain that's been with them for what seems like a lifetime, you can feel immense pressure, especially as a young therapist, to try and get these people better. And when you don't get them better after one week, times three or four patients, that can feel like a big burden. Yeah. So these things that you're bringing up, it's not offloading the burden and say the responsibility is fully with them and I just don't care. But I found that 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 genuinely helped when we were coming to collaboration instead of me trying to fix it. Have you experienced that? Absolutely. I think that's a great point that you highlight is, is that it is a shared responsibility, not to sound harsh to clinicians or to people living with pain, is that both have an accountability. Clinicians have an accountability to work with kindness, do no harm, support people, offer care. And people living with pain, they, I suppose, have to have a, an accountability towards, well, do I want to change? Does something need to change? How can I go about changing that? What do I need to do to get better? What do I have to do in order to make this work? Louis Gifford said, there are four things isn't it, clients are looking for. And I know that I'll probably get this wrong, but what is it that you can do to help me? What is it that I can do to help myself? How long is it going to take for me to get better? And unfortunately, I, the, the fourth one eludes me. But I think those, those questions are really, really important because it shows that there's a shared responsibility and a shared accountability towards helping someone move forward in their life. I love it. Paul, I was so surprised at the amount of young health professionals that didn't know who Louis Gifford was. So definitely go and research him if you haven't heard that name. We've probably got time for two more tips, Paul. Keep on rolling. Okay. So <laughs> I think this is kind of a joint one by Andrew Imry, who's a, a physiotherapist in New Zealand, in Wellington, and Joe Rathboom, who's a occupational therapist in Wellington. And they kind of come together. It's don't be afraid to be yourself. That allows you to be open. That allows you to be 
relax that allows you to share that allows you to use soft skills that allows you to swear a lot um <laughs> if you wish which is what joe said the circumstances might be different for different contexts of course but i think that that sort of general tip is, is don't be afraid to be yourself you know love yourself if we think of it in a cup, if you like, like your empathy cup or your energy cup or your love cup or whatever, if you don't have empathy for yourself or energy for yourself or love for yourself, that cup is empty. How are you going to be able to give that to anyone else? Mm. That tip that Andy and Joe are offering there, I think it's just beautiful. It just shows that your health is so important as well. And these tips are things that, yes, we're imparting onto our clients or onto our patients or onto people living with pain. But how, how can we use those tips in order to be compassionate to ourselves? I think if you're dealing with people with longstanding pain, you need some humility and vulnerability. And you'll need to show that from yourself first. I think it breeds more humility and vulnerability when you show it. And then hopefully the patient can show some too. That's really going to help progress the journey. I get a sense that we sometimes want to be over professional and a little bit rigid and like we're physios and it's, you know, it's super professional. And I think if you listen really well and you adopt the first few tips here and ask some wonderful reflective questions, that shows professionalism in respect. And that gives you the space to show a little bit more of your personal character. So I, I think that's a really nice tip. Paul, could you give us one more in about one minute? Yep. This one comes from Bronnie Thompson. Yeah, I think we all know Bronnie Thompson. She's an occupational therapist and uh, University of Otago lecturer. She says, use their existing coping strategies, but refine them so they're used more flexibly. Add to them only after the person has exhausted their own resources. I like that. Do you have a, a kind of clinical pill that would go with that? Oh, my goodness. So I think if I'm thinking about that tip, one example are is that you're just having the conversation with the client, saying what current things are you doing in order to manage your pain and then determining whether or not they're helpful or unhelpful and then seeing you know, how rigidly, how strongly are they holding on to those so that potentially those strategies actually might be a hindrance to them moving forward? And can they hold them a little bit more lightly, those tips? Can they look at them with a bit more flexibility in that maybe those coping strategies are useful in one specific context, but maybe not so useful in another? Here's one quick example. Pacing is a very, very common approach to helping people progress to move forward. In some perspectives, in some contexts, pacing might not be a, a useful strategy. So an, an alternative strategy is something called flexible persistence, where people want to, let's say, for example, they want to, they have a, a list of things that they'd like to get through. And normally what they understand is that they can do up to three or four within their day. But there's one tip, one thing that they really, really want to do in addition, and that's so important to them. But they know that the other four have, there's a need, that they, they've been prioritized, but they really, really want to do this fifth one. And so, in the past, knowing that they may have had a flare up as a result, 
the attitude shift here is, is no, I want to do that fifth one because this is really important to me. And I'm open to face the consequence of the potential flare up that occurs. And so it's less likely that because of the attitude shift and the, the focus on the importance of this fifth thing, it outweighs the flare up that they then may have. Plus, they have the strategies in place to also know how to deal with that flare up. So it becomes less stressful and it becomes less of a surprise and it potentially leads to less self-punishment as a result. So I was open with that and I allowed myself to do that because that was important as opposed to I shouldn't have done that fifth thing that I'm an idiot. Why did I do that? That's the worst thing I could have done. Does that make sense? Yeah, you're providing the choice and that is empowering in itself. And I love that. I love that level of guidance. Paul, thank you so much for your time and these tips. And uh, where could we refer people to if they wanted more of this? These tips have all, of course, come from my colleagues. I've actually written a blog. It was a couple of years back now. And I think it was 50 tips on living well with persistent pain. So you can go to my blog, thenakedphysio.com, and just scroll through the number of blogs. Type in on Google, The Naked Physio, 50 Tips for Living with Chronic Pain. And it's a two-part blog. So you can certainly go there. There's a whole host of other places you can go. You go to Bronnie Lennox Thompson's blog. She's certainly got a whole host of various tips and a whole host of blogs that you can access for updating our, our understanding on helping people to live with pain. Is it the physio network itself? Don't they have a whole host of things that you can go and access and, and other resources and other links to other people's um, to blogs and things like that that they, you can access? So, so yeah, so, um, so th those are just a couple that you can, you can access. Amazing. We'll put that in the show notes. Thank you for your time. You're welcome. Thanks for having me.